We have been, um, we're in the beginning weeks of a new series called Expectancy. We're journeying verse by verse through the gospel of Mark, and we're getting close to wrapping up the first chapter and just looking at it and looking at the life of Jesus with an expectancy that he's transforming us and allowing him to draw our lives to him. When you read the gospel of Mark, oftentimes what we don't realize is we know that John Mark was the one who wrote it, but oftentimes what we don't realize is that many believe the gospel of Mark is actually the disciple Peter's account of the life of Jesus. And it was Peter saying what took place and that Mark was writing it down. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been around someone who is very high octane? Might be the right way to say it. Very high octane, constantly going, very short attention span, constantly going, constantly doing something, constantly uh, getting into something. Some parents might be thinking, well, I'm sitting next to one this morning. When we were youth pastors several years ago, we had a young man. We had a few young men, but we had a young man that very specifically fit that type of description. And as I was a youth pastor, I took him to youth convention that in the fall and several other youth groups would meet. And really a couple, two, three thousand students were packed into this massive uh, sanctuary, this massive auditorium. The lights were out and just a great light show, music, things happening, just a great youth service. And they were selling and handing out glow sticks and things before service and just a lot of things for the youth to have fun in the dark. And midway through the service, this young man is sitting next to me and just through the loud music and everything, he leans over to me. My eyes are focused forward. So I just hear him saying this and he says, Pastor Steve, my face is burning. I'm thinking, why would his face be burning? And I look over at him and he had broken open the glow stick and had smeared it all over his face. So his face was glowing in the dark. (laughs) It's like, well, there's a reason behind that. (laughs) Later in our college ministry, same young man uh, was just, again, very high octane, very bounce off the wall step young man. And one night he came into our service and as he came into our Wednesday night service, again, he's already got high octane, but he was like extra jittery. His eyes were just scattered. He was just, something was different. I mean, if, if he could take it up a level or two, he had well exceeded that. And I was like, I asked him, I said his name, and I said, what's wrong? Tell me, what is going on with you? And I said, something's different. You're buzzing at a little different octane than you normally would be buzzing at. And he told me, he said that it was a time when McDonald's was trying to get into the gourmet coffee business. And what they had done was set a certain window one day a week. I think it was on Wednesdays at one day a week for two, three hours that when you pulled up to McDonald's or went in McDonald's, they would give you a free espresso or a free latte. He said, well, you know, today is free coffee day at McDonald's, right? And I was like, well, right. And, and he says, well, I, I've, I've taken them up. And I said, how many have you had? And he said, I've had seven. So again, just very high octane, very go, 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 go. But when I read Peter, read about Peter in the Gospels, I sometimes get that picture of Peter, that he is just high octane, ready to do something, ready to go somewhere, ready to conquer something. And when I read the, the Gospel of Mark and I realize that there's a very good possibility that the Gospel of Mark is really is Peter's account, I really can, I can arrive at that even more. I mean, the gospel of Mark really has this constant expectancy, constant something's happening, something's going, something's taking place. And I can almost 
picture Peter dictating this to John Mark as he's writing and as he's writing that, that Peter's just saying something and, Mark, and, and John is writing so fast or Mark is writing so fast and, and, and I'm at some point that, that, that Mark is saying, Peter, you've got to slow down. My hand is hurting. I can only get this quill to move so fast. You've got to slow down. That Peter's just constantly giving him the stories of things that are taking place. Well, when I look at the story of Jesus in the gospel of Mark, as we move forward and we see how Peter is really sharing just these powerful moments again and again and again of Jesus transforming people, people encountering Jesus, lives being changed, demons being driven out, the sick being healed, the dead being raised. We get this sense that that, that really is just this releasing of power that's taking place through the life of Jesus in that moment. Really what we begin to see is what Jesus declares in Mark chapter 1, a passage we've already looked at really on Easter Sunday, Mark chapter 1 verse 15. Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Jesus begins to demonstrate what that looks like when the kingdom of God comes near, when his power begins to move on this earth. That is powerful. The gospel is powerful. That it's not just a story of the past. It's not just a story of how God did things in the past. It's a powerful story and a powerful gospel today. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And really what we see in the gospel of Mark and we see throughout the entire, all the gospels, but specifically in the gospel of Mark, we see that wherever Jesus goes, he makes this incredible impact. That he can't go anywhere without there being an impact somewhere. Last week we looked at how he walked into a church service and drew out a really a demonic presence in this man and ultimately delivered this man. That the presence of Jesus always was going and disrupting something. He would disrupt the works of the enemy. He would disrupt the sickness in people's bodies. He would disrupt funerals. It wasn't that he would come in and be irreverent or disrespectful, but by the time he was done at a funeral, there was no one to bury. The the person wasn't dead. They were alive. I mean, he really knew how to mess up a funeral. (laughs) Wherever Jesus went, he was doing something. He was demonstrating the power of God in his life. Well, I want you to look with me in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse number 29. And we're going to read verse 29 through 39 and look at these for just a few moments this morning. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse number 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went looking for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. 
Well, the story we've just read gives us a very broad, specific, a very broad picture of the specific ministry of Jesus, of the gospel rhythm that we see in Jesus' life. He focuses on the authority of God's kingdom flowing through him. He focuses on the preaching of the gospel to others. And he focuses on communion and relationship with our Heavenly Father through prayer. Well, in the story we've read, we see that it concludes with Jesus slipping out really in the early morning hours for a time of prayer. I don't believe that I can emphasize enough the importance of Jesus's prayer life and all that he did. And you really cannot emphasize enough how, how much Jesus uh, prayed and how much time he spent in prayer. That while his time of prayer is emphasized after this explosive burst of miracles taking place, it says that he healed the masses. He healed individuals, Luke says, one by one by placing hands on them. That we see this explosive burst of miracles taking place through the life of Jesus. Most likely into the late hours of the night, early the next morning, he's up in prayer. It is important to recognize and realize the importance of prayer and the rhythm of prayer in our lives as we're believing and expecting for God to do the incredible through our lives. And see, one of the things that I see about prayer when it comes to the life of Jesus is that prayer's primary function and focus in our lives is not to present our needs to God. Prayer is not about merely presenting our needs to God. The primary purpose of prayer is growing in relationship with God, is communion with God. And it's within that relationship that we have the privilege to present our needs to God. I think of my children that each one of them is in relationship with me and it's within relationship with me that they present their needs to me and I desire to meet those needs. So the primary focus of prayer is to grow in relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's the key to life, key to ministry, key to family, key to everything. And it's in the midst of this story where Jesus heals a mother-in-law, Jesus moves and, and then begins to heal the masses, and then Jesus moves into a time of prayer that I believe we can see a few things about healing. And I want to show you very, just three very simple, three very basic things in the story when it comes to healing. And then we're going to end our service this morning with a time of praying for the sick. Having our leadership come, stand across the front, the pastors and the elders and their wives and some of our prayer team. And just going to use anointing oil as the Bible describes and just anointing individuals with oil as a symbolic uh, presence of the Holy Spirit. And just praying over individuals and believing for God to heal. Our children have actually been uh, talking and teaching along a similar lesson. And so they're going to be joining us towards the end of service. Eric and Melissa Golden are going to bring the kids in. They're going to be a part of our time of prayer uh, as we worship and as we pray and as we really believe in God to do incredible things. But I want to show you again three things quickly about, heal- about healing when it comes to to the story we've read. The first thing, and again, incredibly simple things that we often can, can minimize or overlook. The first thing about healing that we see is that Jesus heals because he's asked. Jesus heals because he is asked. When you look in the story in Mark chapter uh, 1, verse 29 and 30, it says that Jesus and the disciples leave the synagogue they were there for the Sabbath time of worship, a time of prayer, a time of teaching, a time, of, a time together. And they, they go to their ho- this home for a meal. 
It's a traditional practice after the time of Sabbath, the time of learning, that they would travel. They had a very short distance on the Sabbath. They were allowed to travel. In fact, most were not allowed, you weren't allowed to travel more than approximately half a mile from your primary dwelling place on the Sabbath, or else it would be considered work. And so oftentimes ways that individuals would find a way around this is they would, they would already know the distance about half a mile in any direction from their home. And so they would, the day before, they would travel about a half a mile's distance and they would pack a lunch, pack a meal, pack a kind of a, a picnic type lunch and leave it there. And then the next day when they would come and they had, if they had a farther journey, they had to go and it was going to take place on the Sabbath, even though they were restricted from traveling more than half a mile by the, by the, the Sabbath laws and regulations, they would travel that half a mile to where they had that meal waiting And then they would sit down and they would enjoy the meal. They would take a moment there. And then they would consider that that had now become their primary place of dwelling for the day. And they could then travel for another half a mile from where they were at. Kind of creating these different loopholes in the different religious regulations of the day. But we see that Jesus goes with his disciples to Peter and Andrew's home for a traditional meal that had been been prepared the night before. I should say this, the Sabbath was on a Saturday. It went from sun up to sundown, about 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And they arrive at, at this home expecting to receive a meal, and instead they find that the, the mother-in-law is sick. They find that Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And so as they arrive there, upon arriving that she is sick, it says that as soon as, in verse 30, as soon as they heard she was sick, they told Jesus that immediately they asked Jesus, they told Jesus about the need, they told Jesus about the fever. They immediately asked him. And I find it incredibly interesting. These men had not been with Jesus very long. They hadn't been traveling with him and seen the whole scope of miracles or the things that would take place. And many times, most of the things that we see and know in the gospels about Jesus and this miracle working power that he brings, they're still on the front end of his ministry And yet they're very quick to connect his past deeds with their present situation. They're very quick to connect what he's done in the past to where they're currently at and the need that they have. And they ask him, they ask Jesus to come and heal this mother-in-law. See, I think sometimes we overcomplicate it when it comes to our praying, when it comes to our needs that we, we need to have God answer, the healing that needs to take place in our lives that we overcomplicate it. James chapter four, verse one says that you don't have because you don't ask. That oftentimes we fail to connect who God is and what he does with our present situation. We fail to connect everything that we read and see in scripture and believe about Jesus and what he does. We read that, but yet we fail to connect it to our present situation. And so we fail to ask. Think about how, how many times when you are sick or you have an ailment come along or you have a pain come along that needs to be dealt with. How quick do we say, well, I've got to make a doctor's appointment. I've got to call my doctor. I've got to and begin to make an appointment rather than just pause and pray for the moment that we fail to ask. And the Bible says oftentimes, more times than not, we fail to receive because we fail to ask. George Wood, the Assemblies of God superintendent, in his book, Fearless, a book that Pastor David had introduced me to, and he's looking at the Gospel of Mark. And in his book, Fearless, he, on the subject of prayer and asking, 
He quotes his seminary professor from many years ago, and he says this. He says, God cannot do some things unless we work. He stores the hills with marble, but he never builds a cathedral. He fills the mountains with iron ore, but he never makes a needle or a jet airplane. He leaves that to us. If then God has left many things dependent on man's thinking and working, why should he not leave some things dependent upon man's praying? He has done so. Ask and you shall receive. And there are some things that God will not give unless we ask. We cannot suppose that God will do for us without prayer what he has promised to only do through us with prayer. I truly believe that most, if not all, of the answers are there for the asking. It's simply a matter of how many prayers go unanswered simply because we never pray them. Jesus heals because he's asked. I think closely related to this, when you look in the story of these disciples asking Jesus to come and to heal this mother-in-law, look at how fast they got him involved. Verse 30 says, immediately they learned of the sickness and they asked Jesus. They immediately asked Jesus and Jesus immediately responded. I guess I would just simply ask, at what point in your struggles, at what point in your journey, and at what point in your illness do you ask Jesus? At what point do you invite him into the need? At what point do you invite him into the lack? At what point do you invite him into your parenting? At what point do you invite him into the challenges in your home, the challenges in your workplace? This goes to far more than just praying for healing of physical needs. While it applies there, it has a much greater application. Jesus wants us to ask him. Numerous times throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus heals because he's asked. Someone comes to him and asks him and he heals them. So I would encourage you this morning, if you're battling sickness or you're battling disease and it's been in your body for some time and perhaps you've you said, well, I have asked and I haven't been healed. Why, is, why has that not taken place? Then I would just encourage you with Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is not describing that, that asking and knocking by coming and knocking once and then walking away. He's describing coming there and knocking again and again and again and again and being persistent and continually presenting the needs to God, continually asking Him and presenting that need to Him, that God loves it when we come to Him and ask Him for answers to prayer. And friends, I realize that there are times when we pray and there are times when we present our needs to God. There are times when we present an illness to God and we don't see the answer. And in those moments, while I don't understand and know all that takes place and why certain people are healed and others are not, what I do know is the kingdom principle is that God loves it when we ask Him in prayer and God is still a God who heals. This past summer, I was invited to by a family here to come and to pray for a family member who was in the hospital and who was a very desperate place very sick, really on the, the edge of death. And as I went there to pray with this family member, one, the family member attended here, and then this individual I was praying for had, had uh, just loosely come with them. 
And as I arrived in the room to, to pray for this individual and really to offer comfort to the family, to just a number of things taking place in this person's body, as I walked into the room, there was an individual there I'd never met. I knew the person from our church, and I knew the, the person who was in the bed to be, to be uh, who was just being cared for, to be prayed for, and that person was unconscious. He was a life support, a number of things. But there was another, two other individuals in the room, and as I walked in, one was standing by the bed, one was sitting in the corner on a chair looking at her iPod, her iPad watching a movie or something. And immediately I was introduced to the one standing by the bed, and I was told this is this individual's grown daughter, she lives in Florida, and then this is her lesbian partner sitting in the corner. And as I walked into the room, it was very clear to me quickly that the, the person, sit, the individual, the woman sitting down knew that I was from the church, knew I was from the pastor. And, and it was right in the midst of everything, all of the, the court decrees and things taking place with gay marriage, a number of things. And so she really didn't acknowledge me. And, and just the body language, if I read it correctly, she said, I know who you are. I know what you represent. I know you don't, you're not approving of my lifestyle. So I'm just good sitting here in the corner, not interacting with you. Just leave, let me be. And so I stood by the bedside and I stood there by the person who I'd come to see, talked to the family member, talked with the daughter. The daughter was very polite, very kind. And I shared some scripture, prayed with the family, or began ready to pray with the family. And as I began to pray, I invited the person, the woman who was sitting down. I said, would you join us for prayer? And she set her iPod down, iPad down, and she came and she joined us by the bed for prayer. But I noticed that as she got up from her seat to walk to the bed, she had a very severe limp. And so we stood by the bed and and I just shared scripture and I prayed and I prayed a prayer of healing for the person in the bed. And then when we got done praying, the woman who had walked to the bedside went and and sat back down. And I just, I turned to her and I just asked her, I said her name, I'd met her and I said, what what happened to your leg? And she said, we're here, we're visiting from out of town, out of state. And while I was here, I turned, I ripped something in my my lower leg. And she said, I I, I don't know what it is. I know it's going to require surgery. It's a rather significant tear. She said, but I'm just getting through this time. We're here probably for a funeral. We're just getting through this time. When I get home to Florida, I'm going to talk with my um, doctor. I'm going to see them and just uh, get it dealt with there. And so in that moment, I just, just prompted by the Holy Spirit, I said, I said, you know, God loves you very much. I said, he loves you very much. And I truly believe that Jesus wants to heal you to tell you how much he loves you. And I said, would you allow me to pray for you? She said, sure. So she was sitting there. And so what I did was I walked over to her. I didn't have any anointing oil with me or anything, but I got down on my hands and knees in front of her. And I said, the Bible tells us that we are to lay hands on the sick and they're to be healed. And I said, it's it's not to be uh, mysterious or superstitious, but the Bible makes it clear that when we are obedient to what God tells us, that oftentimes he flows to that avenue of obedience, that avenue of faith. So I said, would you mind if I put my hands on your foot and prayed over you? And she said, absolutely. So I knelt there in front of her. I put my hands on her foot and I prayed over her, just prayed in the name of Jesus and prayed over her. I didn't feel anything pop, didn't feel anything happen. And when I got done, I said, I said, I believe he's healed you. Would you get up and walk and try? And she said, no, I'm good sitting down. Thank you. And I said, then I said this. I said, but then I want you to remember that when you get up and you're able to walk, I want you to remember that Jesus has healed you because God loves you very much. And so I left the room, went about my day. Later, the next couple of days, I ran into the family member from from our church and her eyes were wide, big and wide. And she said, you're not going to believe what happened. She said, when she got up, she was completely healed. That her leg had been healed. 
And I share that with you because then the person who I prayed for in the bed passed away. And I look at that, and I look in that moment, and I say, Jesus, you are the God who heals. And I don't understand why in the moment, in that one room, in that one act of faith, you healed one person and you didn't heal another. And that's, that's up to you because you are sovereign. But I do know that you say in your word that when we ask, that you'll answer. And I've asked on behalf of that lady, and God answered, and she was healed. And so I would encourage you this morning, if you're sick, if you're in need of healing, ask and expect Jesus to answer because that is what he does. Secondly, in the story, what I see is that Jesus heals because he has authority. Jesus heals because he has authority. Last week, we looked at the authority of Jesus in the supernatural realm and how he overpowers the demonic. He overpowers any force that the devil would throw at him. But while Mark records the healing of Jesus, uh, Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, as we've just read, Luke, the doctor in his gospel, records the same event, but he records it from a very different perspective. Luke, being a doctor, oftentimes records details and events and, and stories that we might not realize or we wouldn't notice because we're not a doctor. We don't have that perspective. But in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, he describes this, this fever that has a hold of Peter's mother-in-law, and he describes it as a great fever, as a severe fever. In that day, there was not known medicine to be able to deal with the fever directly, and it very well could have been life-threatening. We don't know. This community was, was near bodies of water, so it could have been from, uh, from insects, this fever caused by an insect bite. We really don't know the details, but Luke tells us that it's a very great fever. But Luke then records something else about this fever and about Jesus, the healing that he brings that's rather interesting. Whereas in Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus, Jesus went to heal her and he helped her up. And as he helped her up, she was healed and she set out to minister and to serve. In Luke's gospel, it says that it's just a little bit more took place. Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus stood over her and that he rebuked this fever from her. And the language that Luke uses when it comes to this rebuking the fever is very similar when we see in the Gospels when, when Jesus comes and confronts and drives out a demon from an individual. Very strong language, very, very confrontational language. And the Bible tells us that Jesus stood over her and rebuked this fever and then helped her up. I don't believe that, that it, Jesus, that the story is in any way telling us that she was possessed by a demon, but it does seem to indicate that in some cases, there are illnesses and sicknesses that have spiritual roots. And that is something the scriptures tell us repeatedly. We see at times where Jesus comes to heal and he recognizes there is a spiritual root behind this illness and there's a spiritual root behind the sickness. The biblical truth that we see is that some, not all sickness, is induced by spiritual powers. The Bible doesn't give us more than that. It doesn't give us less than that. So we really can't add to it, but we can't ignore it. We have to recognize that sometimes illness does have a spiritual root. But whether or not it has a spiritual root as the cause of sickness, whether it's hereditary, whether it's supernatural, whether it's physical injury, Jesus has the authority to heal. It doesn't matter if you walked in this morning and your injury happened yesterday or it's something you were born with or it's something genetic that your entire family has dealt with. Jesus still has the authority to heal. 
He has the absolute authority to deal with any matter. We'll see in the Gospels as we go forward in, in Mark's Gospel just a number of accounts and healings that take place and healings that, that, that uh, individuals experience. And in Mark chapter 5, there's one very specific where Jesus comes and, and he's walking through a crowd and there's a woman with an issue of blood and she reaches out to him and she catches just the edge of her, his garment and she's reaching out in faith and she experience, experiences healing in that moment. And then later in the same story, there's a ruler who comes to him. There's, a, there's a, an individual who comes to Jesus. His name is Jairus. As he comes to Jesus for his daughter's sake, she's very sick, very ill. Ill. And as she's, they're going along, then the Bible tells us that he receives a message that, listen, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter is dead. And so Jesus says, just have faith and continues on this journey. And as Jesus arrives at the place where this daughter is, the home where the daughter is, is now lying dead, there's mourners and there's people out and they're, they're there. And, and Jesus walks up to them and they, they tell him, they say, hey, your daughter's dead. And Jesus says, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And the Bible says they laugh at him. They laugh at Jesus. He says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And when I look at that, when, it, when Jesus says, she is not dead, she is sleeping, it's not that they've mixed, misdiagnosed and she's taking a long nap, but rather Jesus is declaring to them and he is declaring in that moment that he has the final say in anything. Nothing is ever final until Jesus says it's final. There may be things in your life that you look at and you say it's dead. Jesus is saying, listen, it's just asleep. It's just asleep. Just let my authority begin to touch it. Let me begin to work in it and you will find it is not dead. It is just asleep. There are marriages that you have called dead that are just asleep. There are miracles that you're saying won't take place. And he's saying, it's just asleep. Let my authority come, present it to me and allow me in my healing power to demonstrate who I am. I will remind myself regularly, and I think I shared this last week, that if Jesus is the final authority and I belong to him, then there is absolutely nothing in my life that is final apart from him. And there is absolutely nothing in this life that I will fear. That if Jesus is my authority, the final authority, and I belong to him, then nothing's ever final. It's never final until it's presented to him. I can remember as a child the, the first time that I began to recognize the authority that Jesus had to heal. I've shared with you that my parents were missionaries out in the villages of Alaska, and then, and then as we grew older, began to move a little bit closer to Anchorage. But I can remember one time as a very small child being in a, a prayer service, and there were just gather, individuals had gathered together for prayer. And there was an older woman who had come in, and as she was, of course, I was a small child, so anyone over 26 was older. So I really don't know how old she was, but I know she was an adult. And she comes in, and she's there, and, and she has an arm that literally is, is six, eight inches shorter than the other. And she was born that way, so she had spent her entire life with one limb shorter than the other. And individuals begin to pray over her and, and they're closing their eyes and they're praying over her. And I'm thinking, well, Jesus said, watch and pray. I'll let them pray. I'm going to watch. And they begin to pray over her and I'm watching and I'm watching. And as this arm, as she's standing here and she's got her arm is really was a, a difference of about at least this much. Because I remember as they began to pray over her, her arm began to grow and it began to grow. And as it began to grow, it shot out and it just began to balance until it was perfectly even. And it was in that moment as a small child, I looked at her and I said, Jesus has the authority to heal. 
And friends, the same Jesus that healed a woman out in the village of Alaska or whatever church that might have been is the same Jesus that's here. And he's still the same one who has the authority to heal. This morning, if you're sick and you're in need of healing, at the end of it all, it does not matter what your doctor has said. It does not matter what your family line has said. It does not matter how long or how short you have had it. Nothing is ever final apart from Jesus. He has the authority to heal. And if you believe that, then it really doesn't matter what other people may be telling you. I'm not saying to not follow through and see doctors. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying that Jesus has the final authority to heal. And he goes on to tell us, Jesus goes on to tell us that that same authority that he functioned with and that he functions with is an authority that he has imparted to every single follower of Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit living in each and every believer here this morning, that same authority rests in you. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, as he's praying for the believers, he says, my prayer is that their eyes would be enlightened to the power and the hope that resides within them. That we have the authority to lay hands on the sick and believe for healing. And that means within these walls, on this Sunday, this Sunday morning, when we spend moments in prayer in just a few moments. But friends, that means beyond these walls. That as we're going out and we're believing that God's using our life to bring the gospel into the lives of others, that I believe at times he wants to prompt hearts and individuals to step out in faith, to take a step of faith and begin to pray for individuals who are in need of healing and believe that the gospel is going to be confirmed through that healing that takes place. And then friends, lastly, the last thing that I would share with you when I look in the story of Mark Jesus heals because people come to him. Jesus heals because people come to him. In Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 32 and 33, it makes a point. It says, in the evening after sunset, everyone began to come. See, it was the Sabbath, and because it was the Sabbath, individuals were staying home. They weren't venturing out beyond that, that radius that they could go. But among the different regulations that were given on the Sabbath... In addition to travel regulations, and, and scriptures give regulations for the, the practicing Jew to, for in that day was to be able to slow down and to rest on the Sabbath. But the religious leaders of that day were so concerned that individuals might break those rules that God had given, those guidelines for the Sabbath, that instead they made a secondary set of rules so that individuals would not break the, the first set of rules. It would be, an equivalent would be as if on, on our roads today that the speed limit was 35. And because the speed limit is 35 and we're so concerned that you might go 36 and break the rule, we're going to pass a new rule that the speed limit is only 25. And if you, even though the real regulation is 35, if you go 25, you're going to face just as severe punishment as if you go 35 because we want you to know you're going to mess with going 25. You better not ever mess with going 35. The religious leaders of that day had created a secondary set of rules to try to protect individuals from breaking the original set of of guidelines that God had given them. And among those guidelines, one was that individuals were not allowed, if an individual was sick, they they were not allowed to carry a sick person to a doctor even if they were close enough to, to being able to get to them, they were not able to carry a sick person to a doctor unless it was a matter of life or death. 
And then if they had to carry the person to a doctor or the doctor had to go see someone who was sick and passing away, the doctor was given the freedom to only heal to the point of maintaining them from not dying and not healing them all the way until the Sabbath was over. And so that's how these people were functioning. It's the Sabbath day. They're waiting until sundown so they can get to Jesus because they're hearing about his miracles. They're hearing about what he did in the synagogue just moments before when he drove the demon out of the individual. There's a very religious, very complexity of uh, a very complex system of religious rules, very burdensome. And so these individuals are hearing about Jesus and hearing about the healings that are taking place. And Mark tells us that as soon as the Sabbath ends, there's this surge of humanity that begins to push towards Jesus. There's this mass of humanity that begins to converge upon the house where he's staying. And in Mark's gospel, it tells us that Jesus healed many of them. Luke's gospel tells us he healed each of them. He took time one by one to heal every individual who came to him. And I find it incredibly interesting. Jesus is not limited by the Sabbath rules and regulations. He's not limited by those man-made rules that had been made. We already saw that in the synagogue when he, when he set the individual free. We see that with Peter's mother-in-law when he comes and he drives out this, this fever But it's interesting is that these individuals are functioning out of a very limited faith, very limited idea of of what he can do. They're thinking that he has to function within these Sabbath rules and regulations just like they have to. But he, he finds them as they respond to him. He meets them where their faith is at and he heals them. He doesn't say, you have a lot of, you have very small faith. You have to wait till sundown to come to me. You have to wait until your regulations are fulfilled to come to me. I've been, I've been here. I've already healed somebody. I could have done this. He doesn't turn them away. Instead, he meets them at their faith as imperfect as it may have been, and he heals them. They come to him in faith as imperfect as it may have been, and he heals them. I think there were some who came in their own faith. They came to Jesus directly. I think there's others who came to Jesus in the faith of others. They, they had friends perhaps carrying them, family members getting them there. Others may have came just to see what was happening, but Jesus heals everyone. And this morning, as I've mentioned, we are going to end service in just a few moments with a time of prayer for those who are in need of physical healing in their body, believing that Jesus is going to heal. And I would encourage you in that moment to recognize how important your faith is. There are times in Scripture where Jesus heals individuals and, and it really, we, we get a picture that it really had nothing to do with their faith, but rather just his sovereignty in the moment. But more times than not, when we look through Scripture, we see that Jesus moves and flows freely through the faith of a person responding. Whether it be the individual who's coming directly in need of, with faith, in need of healing, Or if it's friends bringing an individual and they're moving in faith and lowering him, a friend in front of Jesus to heal, Jesus flows freely through avenues of faith. Hebrews 11.6, when it comes to our faith, says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That faith is crucial. Growing in our faith is crucial. And as you're reading the words on the screen, the Bible tells us in Romans that, that as we are opening our heart and exposing our heart to God's word, that that increases faith. 
that it allows the faith, our, faith to be, our faith to be elevated for God's word to transform our lives. And you might be there this morning and you may be dealing with doubt. I've done this before. I've been prayed for before. And let me just encourage you. Faith does not mean the absence of doubt. Faith means moving forward and trusting in spite of doubt. Faith does not mean the absence of doubt. Faith means moving forward and trusting in spite of doubt. It's stepping out in faith and leaving the results to God. See, friends, one of our core values here is it has to do with faith. And it says it's never too late, too big, or too insignificant for God. So I would encourage you, begin to fill your heart even now as you're thinking about opening your heart and coming and coming for prayer. Just begin to think about verses, passages, things, words we've even just sung about faith and who Jesus is and what it is that he can do. And friends, I'm believing that God is going to transform hearts. I'm believing that he's going to bring healing into individuals' lives.